Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Please welcome to Actuarial People, Phil White. Hiya. Hi Phil, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very well, thanks so much for um, for agreeing to come on. And uh, I wondered if, before we get started, if you could just give people an overview of who you are and what you do today, and then we'll go back to the beginning and uh, and work from there. Yeah, sure. So I'm Phil White. I work at Book, and um, we were acquired by Gallagher earlier in the year. I've worked in the field since I graduated from uni in 2009, so I've got about 14 years of experience and moved to the book about two years ago. Uh, currently, predominantly on the trustee side of work, um, but get involved with quite a lot of accounting work on the corporate side as well uh, and specialise in PPF work. Fantastic. Well, I'll start where I always do, which is asking you to cast your mind back to when you first realised that actuaries existed. Okay. So I was, how old would I have been? I would have been in about year nine. Um, So my mum actually worked with someone who was married to an actuary. I've always liked maths. And um, she basically said, if you like maths and you want to earn a good amount of money, then apparently actuarial is a good job to do that. (laughs) So that's when I first looked into it. Um, And I can remember being sat in the library at school sticking it into Google, um, possibly who actually back then. um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was, that was when I first started looking into actuarial work. Oh, that's quite early then. So did that then influence what you took at sort of A-level and uni? Yeah. So, um, the A-level, not so much A-levels because I was already focused on maths, further maths. I possibly could have done more focus on maybe doing some economics, uh, but it definitely helped me focus where I wanted to go to university. Um, so I studied Morse at Warwick uh, because it specialises specifically and sort of filters quite well into uh, being an actuary. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm looking at your LinkedIn page over here. So in terms of your first full-time job after uni, you started as a pensions administrator rather than as a as an actuary. So was that was that a conscious choice? How did that come around? Yeah, so um, so basically, obviously, the market is always very competitive. So I'd done quite a lot of interviews, and the interview that I had at the company that I ended up being an administrator for, uh, I I finished third on the assessment centre, and they were only taking two people into the actuarial team that year. So they offered me the opportunity to work in admin for about a year, um, which turned into them not recruiting the next year um, and then so I moved over around two years after but I felt like that was sort of a really good opportunity in a way to to see what the administration team do and um, 
it, it sort of helps you build a bigger picture really about what they have to do with on a day-by-day basis and it is it is quite a demanding job as um without without actually being able to have had that opportunity i think it's quite hard to understand why is my data taking so long to come through or what's going on here and uh, being on the other side it really sort of helps you realize how how demanding that role is um and having to deal with members on a day by day basis is actually quite a, a challenge um sometimes so yeah I, I don't really understand the, the the pensions admin side of things i've always been actuarial focused um can you tell us more about what the job's like what what you do and how it differs from from the actuarial side uh so the administration side is more focused on um member focused so if a member wants to take their retirement or they're interested in taking their retirement then they would use um different factors or or calculate the pension um that the member's going to be entitled to at retirement um and as part of some of the the options that the member gets they can have a a cash lump sum um like a one-off cash lump sum at retirement so those factors that calculate those cash lump sums would get determined by the actuarial team, but the administration team use those factors to determine the lump sum. So, so they'd use an, a set of factors to derive the cash that the member would be entitled to. And they'd be responsible for sort of liaising with the member to get confirmation of what benefits they want, agree their retirement date, and then make sure that the payroll gets put into place. Other things they'd be doing is making sure that if pensions go up with inflation each year, that they, they do the calculations to um, to make sure that members' benefits go up. So they really are the people who actually make things happen um, from the members' perspective. We basically, in actuarial, try to mitigate that risk and ensure that there's enough money there compared to the assets of the scheme long term to be able to ensure all members are protected. So we work for the trustees basically to ensure that and and try to make sure that members are protected longer term in the scheme. Okay. And and do you, do you remember your sort of first few weeks and months? What was the learning curve like? What was it like learning all of this? I imagine it's, it's quite different to anything you've done before. Within the actuarial team? Oh, no, sorry. It's still in the, in the admin team. Uh, yeah. Uh... I think the hardest bit is picking up picking up the phone to a member but not really knowing and sort of almost being on the spot to be able to know this like massive range of technical knowledge um when when you're new and, and words like gmp equalization or gmp they're, they're just they're not normal words to know or what that actually means so when you first start in you, you're talking to people who are looking to retire so people at 65 and you're 21 just come out of university <laughs> so you're almost like they possibly know more than I do yeah um but yeah um building up your knowledge I think um as quickly as possible is is always good isn't it um to sort of build your confidence so yeah and, and what was going through your mind at this point were you were you still dead set I want to get on the actuarial path yeah so definitely um for the first year i was all i wanted to do was was go within the actuarial path i'd 
I considered the option of becoming a teacher for a little bit, a maths teacher. Okay. Um, but my heart was was definitely more in wanting to. I'd, I'd basically put so much effort. I'd gone to the the university specifically for actuarial, um, and it was getting to the point where I was either gonna consider being a teacher or apply for for new jobs again with the one year's experience that I'd, I'd got through the administration team. Okay. And then, so, so I think he's, you thought you'd be doing the admin work for one year, ended up being two because there wasn't a role after the first year. Yeah. How did it feel when that role came up after two? Yeah, it was, uh, I sort of ended up having to push quite hard to get the trans transfer across. So, okay. Um, I hung out quite a lot with some of the people in the actuarial team and, and basically got a bit of informal training from a couple of them uh, and put a portfolio together of the different things that I thought actuaries did um, and then um, agreed a catch-up with um, the head of the office um, to sort of run through why I think I would be good to move across at that point. Um, when I finally heard... I was moving across I was I was yeah so happy that it was like something I'd waited for for ages and to actually get someone tell you yes there is now this job that you've been waiting for for the last two years was was really really good yeah nice how how was it do you remember transitioning across was it sort of did feel like you were at the beginning again and having to learn lots of new things or was it a bit of a continuation it was harder than I thought it would be. There were benefits. Um, the benefits were obviously I had experience and basic knowledge of pensions. Um, I knew what GMP was. I'd seen the other side, so I'd already built up some some knowledge. Um, I think the harder bit was because you had that experience, the expectation was you'd naturally know what you're doing on the actuarial side where... Um, that isn't necessarily true because there's it's the other side so so you kind of expected to pick things up a bit quicker um so so that was a bit of a challenge um studying the exams as well as working is always an interesting challenge um and i so i stopped taking exams quite a while ago um and uh, I, yeah, I found it. I found it very hard to to study and do my work to the level that I wanted to be able to do my work. And I actually felt a massive sort of sense of re like relief when I stopped studying the exams, and it it gave me that time that I wanted to be able to fully put a hundred percent into the work that I did on a day by day basis. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so. In terms of, so you're now in the actuarial team, what was the balance like between, were you just focusing on the technical stuff? Were you doing a lot of client consulting as well? What what was your sort of mix of work? So when I first moved into the actuarial team, I was on client teams, but um, very, very little client focus. So I would be in the background doing work, but my exposure to to clients and meetings was quite limited. I got to do like a pre-meeting uh, call in person with on one of my clients, which was a good experience. And that actually made me want to work or focus more on that client than the other clients because I could see the picture a bit more um, than on the other clients. 
And I think um, one thing that I'd say to anyone who's sort of coming through either in their first year now or looking to come into the field would be to try to get as much exposure to sort of sit in meetings um, even if you're just taking minutes or sitting there on a team's call if it's online in the background just to sort of give you a bit of a perspective on why are we doing what we're doing and um, and see it from the client's point of view so if you've done a piece of work and you see that piece of work getting delivered you can see what the trustees actually want to get out of that piece of work the questions they may ask on that piece of work and I think that that is what really helps you sort of get a full rounding or, or gives you like all of the pieces of the jigsaw, I guess. Um, uh, and the, the other thing that I'd probably say is to get involved with billing on a client that you want to sort of know what each, um, what's going on. Um, if you, if you get involved with the billing, then you have to see all the different parts that all the different pieces of work um, that are going on. Um, and you can see sort of how, how the time that you're spending sort of portrays into the different pieces of work and again it sort of enables you to see the expectation of the, the amount of time that you should be spending on a job because I think as someone sort of just coming in you almost struggle to know okay that's fine I'm doing an annual update what does that mean how long is that supposed to take um, and by being able to actually see okay this piece of work is it is it this is the amount that the client is is the budget for the client actually my time on this must I should be expected to spend this amount of time on this piece of work and maybe if it's spending a lot longer than that then you need to have a chat to the checker or, or the reviewer of the piece of work and fully understand the what is expected of you a bit more so yeah they're, they're two things I'd probably say for anyone who's sort of coming in I guess just touching upon that as well um some anyone who's sort of if, if you're trying to get in, you've just come in the door and you're trying to decide where you want to go, not straight away, but I think within the first six months to a year, think about if there's anything that you particularly are interested in um, at, that you could specialise in. So I, I specialised in the PPF work from about two years in. Okay. Um, and, and just having that specialism, it, it gives you that sense of power in a way of um, this is something I'm really going to get stuck into. Everyone is going to come to me for answers and you almost make yourself irreplaceable um, and you, you feel like people are going to come to you. It builds up that knowledge on, on a specific area and it really helps um, if you're wanting to progress or move companies the opportunities you get from doing something like that getting involved um lots of external like opportunities to sort of discuss or, or um present on an opportunity so I'd, I'd definitely recommend that and then just try to be as proactive as you can on on your client teams you might feel like you've come in and you're just doing work but really what you're you are doing work you're the person that gets the job started um feel like you can't don't be scared to challenge um or, or chase other people on the team um and almost treat the checker on the client as um as your client so you if, if you were going to deliver the work to the client are you happy with it okay i'm happy to pass that work to the checker then um 
because if you, if you do that, then you're sort of almost self-checking your work and you're, you're pushing yourself to get to that next stage in your career um, while also building up a really good reputation um, of the work that you're presenting. Interesting. So if, if we pick up on, on some of that, so specialising sounds like a really good idea. How, how did you actually make that happen? Did it just come across your desk and you said yes, or did you have to do certain things to, to get involved in the PPF team? Hi guys, we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves, and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. Yeah, so so when I first got involved at my old company with this piece of work, uh, they were looking for someone who was um, a couple of years in to sort of help with the basics of managing the administration of making sure all the clients work is getting done so it was almost like a a step in the door naturally without really thinking about do I want to be on the PPF team um and um I actually really liked it and um it's the technical aspect of it but um also it's like a prescribed prescribed calculations so in not being qualified it it sort of fit quite well being on a specialist team where the ppf set their own assumptions and guidance so there's not a scheme actually that needs to set those so it's really sort of helped me through my career as an opportunity really um to to show what i can do from a technical perspective not needing to be qualified yeah um and then when I moved companies, naturally having that sort of meant that straight away I've sort of gone straight in on the the PPF team, um, looking to try and make a big difference um, with the work that we do. And the the other specialist I've not mentioned it yet was um, at my old company. I specialised in the um, setting up of a modelling new modelling function, um, sort of, uh, which basically enabled online so trustees to, to see online the the funding progression of 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 their schemes and uh, also sort of you could set your recovery plans or model your investment strategy see your risk on there put like lots of um lots of different bits together on there and then um journey planning for how you're going to get to your end point so that was that was an interesting sort of project and that was something that I sort of pushed myself to really get involved with and that was sort of the time when I stopped taking exams I was like what could I do uh, I just wanted to try something a little bit different alongside the client work just to see if there was anything there really um, and, and I found that that was really good and interesting I think that that really helped me progress um, in my sort of management role um, because I had to, I sort of led a team of people on the implementation side of updating the models and um, and it really sort of helped me almost 
you have to take ownership of yourself and other people at that point. And that was the first time I'd really had the opportunity to to properly do that within my career. Um, and that's when I, I realised I actually really like the management side of things and the people side and um, I like, wanted to be line manager uh, in my old company for quite a while. Um, so that was something when I did move companies, I got that opportunity and I've really enjoyed line managing people um, since moving. Yeah. With this sort of technical, was it technical in terms of you're doing building models yourself? You're doing a bit of coding? Was it was it Excel-based? Were you using other things? Um, it wasn't necessarily me doing coding. Um, I'd be pulling together, sort of, it's almost spreadsheet built. So there'd be a, a lots of different spreadsheets and we'd be testing and tailoring those spreadsheets so that they worked from an input perspective as efficiently as possible. And then that was part of the role. And then the, the other part of the role was, okay, we need to get all our clients on this. This is the version that's been rolled out. How do we go about getting performers and different things and knowledge into the client team so that they know what they're doing? And then there's the continual how, okay, we've, we've got this program set up now, but how are we going to make this the best thing since sliced bread? What are we going to, what do our clients want? How are we going to improve the functionality of the different things we've already got? Um, and that obviously involves a lot of different versions being released, moving clients across to new versions um, of the model um, and, and just sort of testing and making sure that that functionality is fully functional before it goes live for, for clients to, to view on a day-by-day -day basis. Nice. Okay. Um, and then, so this was also, this helped you to sort of get into people management um, at the same time. How, how did you find that? And what's your approach to, to looking after people? It's very different to just getting a piece of work done, right? It is. I am. Um, it's, I'd say it's my favorite part of my job um, okay. is, is the people management side of things. Um, I, I like to, I really like to help people reach their full potential um and so i've got three three people that i line manage at the moment i was um the team leader at my old company um where i'd have calls with different people try to make it um fun as well especially in, in covid like doing little quizzes and things like yeah. that just to um, keep the morale up in the team where people can catch up and and have 15 minutes just doing something chatting to people that was good so what 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 gives you the most enjoyment? Is it seeing people go from one skill level to another, or is it seeing them develop as people as they progress? What what is it that you? Yeah, um, it's development of of skill level. I almost see myself as uh, parenting. If it's a new grad, um, how do I how do I make them feel comfortable in the company? How I want to you you get the best out of your employees if. If they're happy so i want to make sure that they're happy i want to make sure that obviously that they're, they're delivering on what they need to do but if you've got happy employees then you, you you're generally going to be getting employees that are doing good work um and everyone's happy so i think a fundamental part of being a line manager is making sure that you are you're you're there to support that per person as much as possible 
if if they're not happy with something or if they want to specifically get something out of the career okay it's it's inevitably upon them how they deliver but if you can give them something and it works for the company then then make it happen because if it's something they've got a massive desire on they're probably not going to do a bad job of it um and it's going to be beneficial for everyone are there any downsides are there any what's the biggest challenge of, of managing people i think a downside is if if someone's it, it it's hard if someone's getting a lot of constructive feedback well their their viewpoint on that feedback is very different to what the feedback is being able to sort of make them make them understand the areas they need to focus on um especially if they're putting a lot of like time into their role but not quite delivering on the level that they're at it it's hard to you need to get them understanding why they're getting the feedback they're getting and sort of almost come up with a plan of how can they take some of these things off specifically so that that's the sort of the challenge that I go through with that is this is the feedback someone has given you it 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 must be something that's up, upset them or, or not not gone to plan so okay let's prove this person wrong let's get this piece of feedback and we're we'll figure out how we can make the next time you get the feedback from this person that hopefully we've ticked this specific thing off um and and so it is a challenge but when when you do that and you see that feedback come through and that person like realize that they've gone from having this piece of feedback to now having this type of feedback um that's that's a really good feeling for me anyway so and i imagine for them too <laughs> Okay, so we're still at your your previous company. You're sort of leading the implementation of this um, this piece of software. You're managing people. Do you still have your sort of trustee clients as well? Are you still doing the more traditional actuarial stuff, or has that been put to one side? Yeah, yeah. I continued all the way through. I've I've always continued wanting to do the trustee side. Um, I've I've really enjoyed the variety. Um, of work that you get within the actuarial team um, and and I think that, that that helps me keep being efficient and productive it's not just the same thing all the time mm-hmm. um, having having the opportunity to get involved with so many different types of projects um, keeps, keeps you interested in the work that you're doing um, and because you keep getting continually different opportunities, um, it, it, it really helps sort of get you focused and want to move forward into doing different types of work. So you, you obviously, you made the decision to stop taking the exams. Does that have any impact in terms of what you can do with your clients? So it sounds as though it's sort of it caused you to think about, okay, maybe I should join this this PPF team and do other bits that don't require the exams, but in terms of the traditional client consulting bit, does it have any impact there, or are you pretty much doing what you would have done irrespective of the exams? Yeah, so I think um, one one real positive of, of the company that I work for at the moment is the opportunities that I get to be able to pretty much sign off work um as if i was a qualified actuary the the difference between being qualified and non-qualified is 
there are specific parts of work that do require someone who is qualified to to sign that piece of work out um so yes there there is definitely a difference there however if if you if you're good enough to be able to get to a point where you can review and effectively sign work out with a high level review or with um with someone needing to do a um a slightly less in-depth review when they come to it from a scheme actuary perspective you're still getting that opportunity and, and you're taking that load off of the scheme actuary or or a qualified actuary um so so that's sort of where i've got to at the moment um i'm i'm reviewing work if it requires a scheme actuary or an actuary to to officially sign off on it then then that goes through that process if it doesn't require that because there's not advice within the work then then i, I can I'm, I'm still good to go ahead um, and sign out out that piece of work so yeah it is a challenge with um it is it's less straightforward than being fully qualified but if you're someone who doesn't want to be finishing off the exams there's still definitely opportunities out there especially with all the different sort of project areas now that, that are coming up within the actuarial field because you've got buy-ins, buy-outs, lots of liability management work, GMP equalisation, where all of all of that you don't have to be fully qualified to, to make a massive difference in those areas. I, I put a message on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. I've been connecting with quite a few people that are on maths or actuarial science degree courses and I just put a message out to say if you do listen to the podcast do you have any questions that I haven't been asking people or that that you'd like me to to put to guests and we've we've obviously covered this topic already but the first question that came through from Ethan Richards was do all actuaries complete IFOA exams so obviously you've you've decided not to complete them but I've never really thought about actually could people go in to the actual path with, without the intention of taking them initially would, would you say you benefited from starting and then stopping or have you seen people that just don't take them from the beginning yeah it's a good question um my my honest answer would be once you've got enough experience on the about so in my situation it, whether i'd taken those exams now or not taken those exams i don't think i'd really be in a different position within my career other than the fact that it's got me in the door and having those exams almost has enabled me in a way to get to where I'd got because if I had no exams moving companies there'd probably be a bit more of a challenge um I've definitely seen uh, some companies out there offering people now even people not going to university sort of going through on an apprenticeship um I I might, I'm not 100% sure on this one, but I, I get the feeling that there's something that the IFOA are doing where you effectively get a different type of qualification if you get through all of the first sort of non-specialist exams. So that's sort of maybe something that might might be worth looking into if if you're qualifying or, or, or half qualified, not overly keen to keep pushing for another four exams but maybe one exam away from getting all of them done other than the specialist subjects maybe that's something if that does does arise um might be a good one to sort of get an, a qualification that enables you to do specific parts of signing work out but not as much as a scheme actuary so i think that that is 
if that does happen, that's that's sort of a really good sort of move from the IFOA um, to sort of get people qualified in a different way. Cool. I'll, I'll ask you the other part of his question as well. Just be, be interesting to get your take. Um, how is it I can prepare for these exams while studying at uni? Do you have any views on that? So you used to be able to, and I don't know if you still can, take out the first exam without being a member of the institute. So you could, if that is still an option. You used to be able to take CT1, I think. Yeah, maybe CT1. That would give you a good indication. Um, I guess what you could do as well is, and it depends how much spare money you have, um, you can obviously buy some of the study material from ACTED without having to take an exam or be a member of the Institute. Uh, so that would give you a good indication if you wanted to buy, say, the first two subjects. You could you could take that material and start studying for the exams. And also you can download the, uh, the past exam papers from the internet as well. Uh, so that would be a good way of sort of building up the knowledge of those first exams and being able to sort of see what what the expectation is or the demand of those exams. Uh, and for you, it was more, you said earlier, it was just the time management aspect. You wanted to throw everything into the job and balancing that with exams, that's that's when it didn't, didn't suit you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I'd gone through school, university, lots of studying, not had any issues. It is definitely very different when you are working nine till five or eight till six, depending on how busy you, you end up being on any particular day. And then you need to have your, your tea in the evening and do a couple of hours study. And then especially when you're getting close to the exams, making sure your weekends are free to really focus. I think um, I might be wrong since them changing the exams, but it, it I think the recommended like study time for an exam was something like 250 hours to 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 be in a good place for for passing um that may have changed that's a lot i'm just i can't do the maths on the fly but if you get say 20 study days for each session and you might be taking a couple of exams per session yeah that's not 250 hours worth of study days yeah so yeah that that's that's why it's demanding um to fit in around an already very especially when you're learning you're learning constantly on your job um so to be learning on your job learning the actuarial exams outside that's just that just felt too much for me um when i was getting i was missing out by a mark here a mark there um and so i just decided i was going to take a break and when i did take a break my work sort of clicked into place um and i started to be getting started getting much much more pleasure out of the work that I was doing I felt like I was doing a much better job and delivering to a much higher standard which has really sort of helped me progress through my career um obviously everyone's different but for me it sort of it was almost like a, a sigh of relief that I don't need to do that and I can just focus solely on on the work what is it you 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 love about the work people management aside because we talked about that but just in terms of working in pensions doing what you do why do you enjoy it I like the variety of, of the different tasks. So I feel like if I was just doing the same thing all the time, I'd be, be getting bored really. Um, being able to have the variety of, of, um, the different jobs that you do, um, and also sort of 
seeing how it sort of comes out in practice and piecing together all the different pieces, seeing what that actually means for members. Um, the job is is uh, it's got such a great range. You've got supporting staff with different parts of work. You've got checking or reviewing, thinking specifically about what the client wants, having those conversations with the client, thinking about what that means actually for the bigger picture of what what are the size of the liabilities of, of the scheme compared to the assets. Every client's different as well. Everyone, all clients, one client might have done really well. I had one company um, that were, um, weren't doing very well, went into COVID. Um, they, they, uh, they sell paint for people doing their houses. Everybody wanted to paint their house in COVID. So um, <laughs> they, they ended up having the, that double in their, their revenue in that year and paid lots into the pension scheme while other schemes are having to have uh, contribution breaks put in place. So you never know what you're going to get. Um, and um, yeah, definitely keeps me busy and uh, on my toes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you've worked for two companies. Can you remember what, I'm sure you can, can you remember why you why you made the move, why you joined Buck? Yeah, so I'd been at um, my old company for 12 years and it just felt like at that point, it was it was time to sort of see what else was there really um i was still getting opportunities to sort of grow and develop my skills but they were um there was a bit more repetition coming into the work that i was doing and i wanted to really sort of move and push myself and challenge myself um and i felt like moving would enable me to sort of get get a fresh perspective on on what the role could offer. Having just been with one company, it's very hard to know what else is out there. Um, and I just, um, my, my little boy was only six months old. Uh, I felt like I'd already had a big change in my life there. And, um, and I really sort of wanted to kick on and challenge myself as, as much as possible in my career. Um, to sort of get as as senior as I really could to support and make sure the money that I'm getting coming in is there is going to be there and sort of almost partial part of the decision was I want to make sure I've got I'm actually an adult now I have I've got I've got a kid I need to make sure that what I'm doing is um, working as hard as I can, develop myself as much as possible and uh, provide as best possible. Um, and that actually was quite a big trigger point for me in terms of really wanting to push on as much as possible in my career. Mm-hmm. How have you found it? How, what was it like? You know, yeah, I guess if you work for one company for a long time, you're jumping yeah. into the unknown, but how, how was it? Yeah, it's... Um, I, I'm I'm really glad that I uh, moved companies. I was very much on the fence when uh, when I was moving. I, I couldn't decide whether it, I was scared about leaving what I knew behind and moving into an unknown. Um, having built up a lot of knowledge of clients that I worked on, going to work and having to learn all those clients again is always a scary thing. But you do learn um, your clients again there was I got a lot of extra opportunities and I feel like it has really helped me sort of move forward in my career and, and it, it's given me so many 
extra challenges that um, I'm genuinely so so pleased that I I made that jump. Um, are, are companies different from each other? I've heard differing views from from some of my recent guests. Um, so when when I moved companies, I had I had to pick between three different companies. Um, I got three offers. I did like the um, the sort of company that I worked at before. I really liked when I first joined. It felt quite family friendly. I really really liked that sort of vibe that I had from that company. Um, everyone's there supporting each other. And so one of the key things that I was looking for for a company if I was moving companies was to try to get that same sort of feel from that company. So was there a big difference? I'd say not a massive difference um, in terms of the two different companies. I think the, the key focus that I was looking for was that family-friendly sort of feel and that was the key reason I joined the company that I'm currently at. Um, and everyone sort of supports everyone in their roles. There's, there's opportunities. If you want something, you, you just speak. You can you can speak your own voice. Um, management are very happy to offer people chats. I have regular chats with the head of the office. Um, we just go grab a coffee. That sort of personal touch that, that you get is is definitely something that I value a lot. Fantastic. I'll uh, I, I might I'll throw in some extra questions in a sec, but we'll we'll, yeah. we'll move on to the the three questions that I know you're expecting because they they tend to pop up in in every episode. So um, do you know what you've actually you've touched on this? But if there's anything you didn't say earlier that comes to mind, then then go for it. If not, you've already answered this. So I'll let you off. So what advice would you give to somebody that's starting off their career in pensions today? I guess, yeah, just reiterating some of those points, um, specialise um, in something, uh, get involved with the client aspects and any sort of billing. I guess one thing that is very easy to sort of fall into the trap of when you're first starting out is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting busier and busier. I know this job 80%, but actually I don't quite know this little bit, but I'm not going to I'm not going to pick that apart or I've got feedback on it. I'm not going to spend time on that right now because I need to focus on the next thing. I think the key thing you want to really nail down when you're in your first couple of years is pick apart the bits that you aren't confident in. Don't convince yourself that you know it 100%. If there's some, like even a little bit on something that you don't quite know, focus and, and challenge yourself to make yourself know that bit. Because otherwise, if you just keep hiding from those little bits you don't know, and then you want to move into a checker role, you're really going to struggle to be able to be a solid or good checker or even go on to reviewing work because you haven't pushed yourself to learn all of the, ba- like, not the basics, all of the all of the package, really, I guess, of a piece of work. Um, so everyone's, everyone's human. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Learn from those mistakes and make sure you know that picture, know everything as as best you can, really. Fantastic. What about the future of, of, of pensions? How do you see it evolving over time? And uh, yeah, I guess to change the question slightly, if someone is just coming into the profession, should they be concerned around what they might be doing in the second half of their career in pensions? Or is there going to be plenty? It's, it's a very good question. It's how long is a piece of string, I guess, in a way, who knows, um, there's continual change around guidance, who, 
no one would have known that interest rates had moved would have moved how they have done over the last 18 months pension schemes are, are much better funded on the whole than they have been um there's a lot of work that's coming out of out of that currently you could quite easily see some sort of uh, legislation released or something that might mean that everything changes completely um i know that the mansion house speech that was um i can't remember a couple of months ago now um was talking about potentially investing in um uk companies and um and like almost taking on extra risk there to sort of get better returns there's the, the, like the different master trusts out there who know it's, it's hard to know i mean when i started out everyone was saying oh there's only 10 15 years left in this um and now we're 15 years down the line and there's still we're, we're busier than we've ever been we need more staff everywhere needs more staff there's so many bespoke different types of work now gmp equalization all the different liability management work buyout work if i was taking a random punt on where it might go long term there are only so many insurance companies around but there's so many more schemes yes maybe they can deal with the schemes that are currently coming through now but how how are all these schemes going to be in managed through insurers in the future maybe there'll need to be more insurers or transitions into providing support in some way um, to offer that sort of support there. Um, but yeah, it's impossible to know the future, is it? Need a time machine. <laughs> well, the next question is about the future, but just the next 12 months. What are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? <laughs> uh, so continuing to work with the clients that I work on get involved with some retender work and uh, pitching for some other clients. The PPF are potentially changing the way that they're going to calculate their levies uh, from next year. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. And Book and Gallagher sort of combining, I'm really sort of excited to see where where that goes in the future as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I felt like you never know where a conversation is going to go, but because you've done so many different things and your role has, has changed, we almost didn't have to go through in chronological order. It's just really nice just listening to, particularly when you were talking about the people management bit and giving advice to, to people coming through. It's really obvious that that's what you love doing. And, and you know, I think the, the people that, that work in your team um, are in a very lucky position. So hopefully lots of lots of things in this episode for existing actuaries, but also people entering the profession or think of entering the profession and yeah it's just great to sort of hear you talk about how much enjoyment you you take from it so thanks so much for your time and uh i wish you all the best yeah thanks you too james thanks for listening to this episode of actuarial people please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review if you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.